Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is, in Korea, you can go to a cat cafe where you get to drink coffee and hang out with cats for hours. The idea is that the cats are good for your nervous system, but I'm pretty sure the coffee isn't bulletproof, and definitely getting cat hair in your coffee is not okay. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest is Jill Cicciarelli, who is an Italian teacher and tells me that I pronounced her last name perfectly. <laughs> She's a certified holistic health coach, owner of the website First Comes Health, and the author of a book called Fermented, a four-season approach to paleo probiotic foods. She's known for her expertise in fermentation and considers herself a healthy hobbyist who wasn't necessarily getting all the, the fruits of the research that she was doing. She was gaining weight, not sleeping well, losing interest in her family, and knew something had to change and realized that fermentation did something for her. 
as you well know, if you listen to the podcast, I have significant questions about fermentation. So it's going to be really exciting to get to talk to someone who spends a lot of time and has had benefits from it. And Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I hope I can answer all these questions that you have. I'm optimistic. You know, there are some questions where we don't know the answers yet, and that's where biohackers like to play anyway. So don't worry if there's some where you and I don't know the answer. Maybe one of our listeners does, and we'll be kind enough to post it in the comments for the show or on Facebook or something. Great. Now, you've also graduated from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So you've studied more than just fermentation, right? Yes. Yes, I have. One thing that um, I can say that's positive about that program is that they really try to expose students to a huge variety of different eating paradigms and let people decide for themselves what they like or what works best for them. I know what I like and what works best for me. Um, but yeah, that was nice to be able to almost have a menu of different things laid out for me to see what's, what's out there. Awesome. I, uh, I've thought about doing one of those programs as well, just because I'm sure that there's things that, that would fill in some of the gaps that I don't know as a biohacker. I tend to be so focused on metabolic things or on mitochondrial things or hormonal things where there's, I'm sure, stuff that I still need to learn. It's a constant process. Right. It turns out you took a self-imposed break, though, speaking of things outside of just nutrition, a break from writing and promoting your book because of the stress from doing the book, right? How did stress yeah. impact you as opposed to all these other nutritional things that we tend to talk about a lot on the show? Well, man, I was just like, um, I was just tired of everything. I was over it. I was just physically tired. I wanted to sleep all the time. I wasn't interested in anything. I just felt like, gosh, I just need a break. I needed to stop doing anything, stop thinking about anything, not for an extended amount of time, but just enough that I thought I need physical control, alt, delete, or command, option, escape, if you're a Mac user, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever that is. What about Linux? You forgot. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I don't. That's just, <laughs> this is like as technical as I get. Um, but yeah, I just needed to stop thinking about fermentation. I needed to stop thinking about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and blogs. And I just, yeah, it, it being turned on and being turned into somebody who's so focused on one thing all the time, for me, just didn't, after a, over a year of it, just didn't work. I needed to, to cut it off. So yeah, for like a week, I just sort of dropped away. It felt great. It was like a vacation at home. So you took a, a week off and you sort of rejuvenated yourself. Do you think that you were dealing with adrenal burnout or was it something else? Um, maybe. Uh, I, I don't, I never got a real diagnosis. I, I, I've always been under the impression that adrenal burnout takes more than a week to, to get back online. Um, and after my little week staycation, I felt pretty good. So I don't know, maybe I was going down that road, but I, I, I honestly think I just needed some sleep. I just needed to think about something else for a little while. But it's possible. It's very possible. If you were at stage one adrenal fatigue, maybe just getting some extra sleep and all did it, but something wasn't right, you took a week off, and when you had no social media at all for a week and no writing, uh, it looks like you didn't die, right? No, I didn't die. In fact, I feel like I'm living even more fully. Yeah, it was great. I was going to bed at like 8.30 or 9 every night, and 
just sleeping really soundly. And I, yeah, I felt wonderful. So I did the opposite of die. I felt like I got it back a little bit. Interesting. I, I might have to try that at some point. I think I can fit it in my calendar next year sometime. <laughs> it gets a little crazy. Isn't it awful? You have to schedule in going to bed early. I'd certainly do that if I go to bed early. It it's it's it gets to be a little bit crazy when yeah. you've got all these social media things. You can always do more, and that ability to both be resilient and to regulate yourself matters more than ever. Now. In this week off, did you spend more time fermenting things? Did you like focus on your diet? I, I'm just kind of curious. It's an unusual way to start interviewing you, but um, you've brought this up on your blog and all. Like, hey, I, yep. I took a week off. So most of the people listening to this probably don't take enough vacation time, and you chose to do it at home. And so, what do you, you know, what do you do when you're kind of a busy person promoting a book and you've done all this this paleo stuff, and then you suddenly just kind of drop off the face of the earth for a week? Um, do you focus on like food and exercise or sleep or like what's the deal? Well, for me, I didn't want to think about fermentation. I mean, I've been fermenting and thinking about fermentation every day for a long time. And I thought, I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to worry about a jar of kombucha. If it goes bad, it goes bad. If I don't want to, you know, I didn't even think about it. I didn't think about cooking. I didn't work out. I just... So just a just real stop, stop everything. Yeah. I mean, I mean this isn't going to sound glamorous. I sat on the couch and I watched some Netflix and just took gelled. a nap. Felt like it. Yeah. Nice. All right. Let's talk more about fermentation because that's the topic of your book. Yeah. And I, one of the reasons I asked that is I have kefir in, in the fridge or kefir, however you want to say it. And, you know, I, I've run kombucha labs in the past, you know, growing weird stuff. And you have to keep feeding the stuff or it dies. It's it's kind of like having a needy puppy around, except yeah. it's not nearly as cute. Those little like kidney like things floating in goop. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, how did you get so interested in fermentation as opposed to just eating the vegetables before they spoil? Well, I, I mean, I, I love to cook. I love doing different things. I I'm very, very interested in what's what's old. I'm interested in what people were doing a few generations before mine. And back then, and obviously much, much, much previous to that, people were fermenting. Um, I've been interested in it a really long time, but never actually got physically into it, doing it myself, but for the past couple of years, I didn't think that I had the equipment and the time and the space. And the, I, I always thought you needed like a fruit cellar or root cellar or whatever, but I, you don't. Um, so yeah, I've been interested in this just simply because it was an old food way. It was an old way of preparing food. Um, I knew that there were some health benefits associated with it, but I didn't really think about that or focus on it too much until I personally started to clean up my diet and, eat a lot better and tried to explore different ways that I could make myself healthier after, you know, living a kind of a unhealthy lifestyle. So I knew about fermentation. I didn't really care about the health benefits. I started to clean up my health, got back into being interested in fermentation because I knew that there were healthy things associated with it and it all just came together from there. One of the things I like about your work is that you have a chapter about the chemistry of fermenting and understanding how things work lets us understand more about how we work. Can you walk our listeners through the scientific process of food fermentation? Like what's the role of acetic acid? What are all the compounds that are formed and 
kind of how it works? At its most basic, fermentation is when bacteria and or yeast act on a carbohydrate and form acid, form gas, um, typically carbon dioxide, um, form alcohol many times. And depending on what you want to ferment and how you want to ferment it, you can produce different things which can produce different positive or negative, I guess, uh, qualities of your food. Um, you know, you can start with something that's alcoholic like wine or hard cider and you can ferment that into vinegar and turn the alcohol into acetic acid. You can start with um, something that's rich in carbohydrates like a piece of fruit and turn that into, um, you know, it will give off carbon dioxide and turn that, have a little bit of alcohol into it and turn it a little bit into a more tangy and tart type of thing. So there's more acid than that. So I, I, I'm, I'm unsure of how you want me to answer this. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on. As a home fermenter, I'm not so interested in the chemical compounds that are there, but I'm not sure what you're looking for. Well, I think some of the people listening have probably never fermented anything. So understanding kind of what's happening there, and you explained it, I think, really well. There's carbohydrates in there and stuff eats them. Yeah. And when it and eats then, them, it makes new things, right? Right. And, you know, I like to say when they're, when they're eating and reproducing, because that's what bacteria and yeast like to do, um, they, yeah, produce different things. It's almost, uh, it's almost kind of magical where you, you can hear it sometimes if you are very quiet. You can see it happening. You can see bubbles forming. You can smell it when you walk into your kitchen if you have things fermenting. So, yeah, it's definitely science-y, science experiments happening right on your kitchen counter. How do you know that what is getting formed in the food is actually good for you? Well, this enters into a whole discussion about bacterial starters and wild fermentation. Um, in the book, I have a whole thing about different types of bacterial starters. And to help fermentation get started and take hold, you can do take one of two paths. First is you can do controlled fermentation where you are inoculating whatever you want to ferment with something that you know has the type of good bacteria in it. So think about if you would make yogurt, you start off with some really nice milk and you heat it and then you add maybe some store-bought yogurt that you have in a little cup, you add that to your milk. You already know that what's in that cup is the kind of bacteria that you want to eat that will do the job of properly fermenting that milk. So that's one way that you can ensure that there's good things in there. If you go with wild fermentation, it's almost a little bit of a dice roll. You're not adding a bacterial starter. You're not adding some type of previous ferment in order to inoculate your food. You're just kind of banking on what's in the air or what's on the food to take hold and ferment. And typically, you're going to – I wouldn't even say typically. Almost 99% of the time, you're going to get good things that are – growing on your food and fermenting it. There are enough good bacteria in the air and on your food that you're going to cultivate something that's good for you. Um, how, how do you know that? I, I'm, I'm a little scared of wild fermentation because like, we've changed the, the microbial biome of our soil and of our planet with the antifungal things we put on crops. And some of the pharmaceutical and some of the agricultural chemicals have really changed like over the course of 30 or 40 years 
the very genes and the types of species and the types of toxins they make. But, yeah. So, well, that's why, that's why wild fermentation is a little bit of a dice roll. Most of the time, you're going to be okay. Most of the time, the good stuff is going to prevail. You, do, you can take, especially with a lot of savory preparations of fermentation, like sauerkraut, you can take a, it's almost like a bacterial um, insurance policy by adding salt to it. You know, when you make kraut, you cut up your cabbage and then you sprinkle some salt on it and you massage it in there. And the salt kills the stuff you don't want and lets the stuff that you do want grow. So it, it is, it's not technically a starter as in it's a bacteria rich medium that you're using to inoculate your food, but it does something to the bad bacteria to discourage its growth and encourage the growth of the stuff. But that's, you're right. That's why wild fermentation is a bit of a, of a chance. And, you know, people have been doing it for a long time and times have changed and things have changed and our crops have changed. Our soils changed. The air has changed right. as of you no know, one's died from it. So I say, keep doing it. Well, I, I know of two cases where um, home wine brewers actually have died. Um, oh, when, stars, and that's news to me. <laughs> they were brewing wine, and actually it was from uh, um, breathing whatever was coming out of their fermentation vessels in a closed space. So they were getting uh, some sort of uh, mold toxins that came from whatever species of yeast was in their wild ferment. Uh, oh, my gosh. I would wow. love to cite the studies for you. This is in one of, uh, one of my research books I have here. And I, I'm not saying that all wild fermentation is dangerous. I'm, I do know that I have experimented a lot with this stuff because I read all these things. Oh, fermented foods are so good for you. But the vast majority of the fermented foods that I've made um, knock me flat on my back. Like I do not feel good on them. And I know a lot of other people who even a lot of the common probiotics you can buy, they actually they get fat when they take them. I'm the same way. Hmm. So I'm, you know, I, I want fermented foods because they're convenient. They last a long time. It's kind of cool to have, you know, a bubbling science experiment in the kitchen. Yeah, uh, but I'm I'm one of the skeptics because knowing what's in there really matters because some of the bacteria, even the common allegedly healthy ones you can buy in the gut, they can form nitrosamines, which are one of the things that form when you're barbecuing meat and when you're cooking things at right. high temperatures. And having the right balance in the gut's important. But if some of what you're eating in your food are the bacteria that make you fat, and there's studies about species of lactobacillus that increase weight and studies of other things called uh, bacterioides that reduce weight. And interestingly, you may be able to ferment bacterioides, but you certainly can't buy a supplement that has them. But we know lactobacillus isn't a ferment. So when you do this at home with a starter, you're mostly targeting flavor, I think, as far as I understand, versus, you know, and, and the hope that they're going to be good for your gut. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering, have you ever found a way to to control or measure or monitor the species or organic acids or anything like that? I personally don't get that deep into it sure. because I, I'm not eating enough fermented food per day to affect me so greatly. I mean, my, my personal experience with it is if I eat a very modest amount once a day, I feel great. My health cool. has improved. My attitude's improved. My life's improved. Um, if you're, or if you or anybody is concerned about specific strains of bacteria, um, 
instead of taking the approach of, you know, using previous ferments, like I use the yogurt example, or you you do the same thing with kombucha, there are packaged bacterial starters that are specific strains of bacteria that you can narrow it down to several different collections of strange strains, good and bad, and take it to that extreme. Sure. Yeah. They're (laughs) out there. They're for sale. My, uh, my last ferment was sauerkraut. And I inoculated it with a strain of uh, probiotic bacteria that was isolated from, funny enough, the vagina of a woman in 1972 who had never taken antibiotics in her entire life. And it's been maintained ever since then. And I'm forgetting the brand that makes this. Uh, uh, It's basically this very carefully genetically controlled strain, thinking, well, this is at least a pre-antibiotic strain. And my kids love this stuff, uh, but when I eat it, like I just don't feel well. Yeah. And some people get like a yeast flare up when they eat fermented foods. I don't have a systemic yeast infection. Have you come across that in, in people who've read your book or anything? People who are like, yeah. I have yeast problems and fermented foods drive me crazy. Yes, I have. And I tell people, you know, while I think fermented foods are awesome and can do a lot of good, if it personally doesn't do you any good, then there's no point in eating them. Uh, you know, sure. and that goes for anything in my philosophy. If, if something makes you feel bad or like you said, you're flat on your back or you get migraines or whatever type of presentation it might give you, there's no reason to include it in your diet. There's also the question of a Herxheimer effect. So maybe you're getting a detox reaction, which can happen when you start doing something really good for you. Your body's like, please don't make me be healthy. And then you get headaches and even going on a low carb diet or something can do that. And uh, I've I've often wondered, there's certainly a ton written about fermentation, including what, what you've got that says it's it's good for you. And I think for a ton of people, I, I would encourage you to try fermentation and see what it does. And if it makes you feel like a total zombie, you can keep trying it for a week or two. And maybe you'll lose weight and feel really good because I, I totally hear that from people. And I know there's another group of people who just avoid anything fermented and it's like the lights get turned back on. Um, there's even a couple guys, a guy named Michael Allen Smith out of Seattle, who you know, has buckets of vegetables fermenting all over the place, uh, who went and did like a, a little mini N equals one experiment on himself and said, well, you know, I stopped eating fermented vegetables for a while to see if I would see any difference. And I added them back in and I don't see any difference. I think I'm getting good butyric acid for my gut integrity. So, you know, the guy's eating, you know, two plates of fermented vegetables a day and happy as a clam. And I totally yeah. believe him. Uh, I, I think that they can be uh, an amazing tool for health. And it's interesting, in your case, they really have improved your health. And yeah. y- you mentioned specifically, like, your outlook on life. Like, they, they make you brighter, sort of. Well, yeah. I mean, I before I started cleaning up my diet and including fermented food, I struggled a lot with depression and anxiety, especially anxiety. Just unexplained grips into fear. I just, I don't know where it came from or what caused it. And when I started, like I said, cleaning up my diet, exercising more regularly, eating fermented food, this all changed. Um, even before I introduced fermented food into my diet, I saw changes. But once I started doing, including that regularly into what I was eating every day, I saw a marked difference. And again, I'm an N equals one, but I've heard it from other people as well. We all need to be the own judge of our, of our diets and what's good and bad. So that's my experience. Well, Jill, there are definitely studies that support your experience where people 
have looked at depression and fermented foods and just the whole gut biome. So if you have a damaged gut biome and the fermented foods you're eating are compatible with your own gut biome or can move it in the right direction, you know, a happy, healthy gut equals a happy, healthy person quite often. So in your case, it worked. And even just looking at you on video, and a lot of people are driving right now hearing this, so they won't be able to see you unless they go to YouTube where we, we post this. But like your skin looks really healthy. Like you can spot someone who has a good gut because their skin looks good and someone who doesn't have good gut and there's inflammation and you can see it around their face. You can see it usually in pimples and things like that, even adults. So like you, you have the look of someone with a good gut. So good for you. You've, you've Thank you. done your N equals one thing, right? Yeah. So I, I would encourage people to experiment with the fermented foods, uh, but to not be dogmatic about it. And the, the hardest part for me is, you know, I, I buy biodynamic cabbage, um, which is beyond organic in, in many ways. And, you know, it's grown near my house by people I know. And you know, I slice it up and wash my hands first. I do everything right. I inoculate it. And Occasionally, I'll get stuff that doesn't bother me, but most of the time I do. So even then, you know, there's stuff in the air that sticks to the food. I've also found, though, that when some types of foods are are made with controlled bacteria, uh, that they're really compatible. So I've, you know, there's some variants of you know fermented, specific casein-based. Uh, types of milk that work, whereas store-bought yogurt is kind of kryptonite for a lot of people. Like it, it causes inflammation because of the casein effect. Have you noticed anything when you're doing dairy fermentation around changes in your body or changes in people who read your blog and try fermenting dairy? Because I mean, you write a lot about all the different kinds of yogurt you can make and all that. Right. Yes. My my own self, uh, I I just can't tolerate it at all. It's just not a part of my life. Um, my anxiety comes back. My skin gets terrible. Okay. Um, you know, my hands get puffy. It's just not for me. I just can't do it. Um, and I've heard from a lot of people who were like, I'm really glad that you included all of these different types of yogurt. It really works for me. So again, uh, to me, it's just a personal, yeah, a personal thing. I, I have, sw I've swelled up from eating dairy for many years. And I've found that if I do raw local milk from a specific strain of kefir uh, that doesn't come in a packet, that I can drink that and it improves my health. I don't get inflammation. And yeah. I can do the stuff um, where I interviewed uh, Jordan Rubin on another podcast. And he makes a, a product, we'll link to it in the show notes, uh, that works really, really well. But for me, the ability to have any dairy other than butter for years didn't work. But can you do butter? I can, uh, small amounts, very small amounts. Does it, I don't, does it matter if it's cultured butter or uncultured butter? It doesn't matter. They both okay. seem to have the same effect on me, which is the same thing. Like if I would drink a little sip of milk, I get all the same. Okay. You're same. super sensitive. I, I was like that for many years. I would get like my, my vertebra would move and I get like a sore neck and it's, it's horrible when you have a sensitivity like that. Cause people don't understand. Like if we just put a little bit in there and you're like, it's kryptonite. Don't do that. Okay. Right. It hurts. It physically hurts. And it's, yeah, not fun. Okay. Got it. So what's your favorite ferment then? I mean, you've, you've got this whole book about it, but if you could only pick one as like the most delicious, amazing thing ever, what is it? Um, I pick kombucha because first of all, I think just plain, it tastes great, but then it's almost like a blank canvas. You can do anything with it. You can turn it into something savory. I mean, I have a couple of things in the book where you can make salad dressings or vinegars out of it. You can flavor it with a whole bunch of different things. So 
I like it plain, but I like all the different things I can do with it. It's something, it's the first thing I ever fermented. It's the thing I've been doing the longest. I feel most comfortable with it. I just, I just like it. I will say that uh, I like the taste of kombucha and I, I had my own growing in a, in a big bowl for a long time until it finally started getting moldy on top and I tossed mm. it. And there's definitely stuff in there. Uh, there's a, a study, or I wouldn't even call it a study, it's a write-up online of a guy who about 10, 15 years ago took a set of kombucha samples, ran them through a lab and found five different kinds of basically antibiotics that were unknown, took them to a pharmaceutical company who was all excited until they realized, oh, these came from like that weird fermented thing, like, nah, we don't want to do that. And they literally didn't do it. But he did say there's five kinds of things that modulate bacterial activity. And his kind of his conclusion at the end of this, and I'm wishing I could remember his name right now, was that kombucha has stuff in it and we have no idea what it is. And so, you know, be very cautious. Do you have any concerns about kombucha in terms of what it's doing to the biome in your gut? Or do you think it's mostly healthy? Uh, for me, I think it's most mostly healthy. Like I said, it was the first thing I did. Mm -hmm. It was the first type of fermented that I started incorporating in my diet and I saw immediate positive results. So for me, it works. I've cool. heard, you know, of people who, you know, like we were talking about before. In fact, one of my previous clients, previous health, co health coaching clients had a systemic yeast infection. And she was like, I, can't, I have to stay away from it. I tried a little bit of it every day for, you know, three or four days. I had very bad flare up. She had an overgrowth in her mouth at that point. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I love it. I love the taste. I love the flavor. I love what it does for me. Do I worry about it? No. I mean, I've been making it for years and I've never had a bad experience, but you know, there are users out there and there are people who can't tolerate it and people who don't like the mystery of it. You know, they want to know exactly what's in there and you can't know exactly what's in there unless you, like this guy you referred to, did some kind of serious scientific analysis on it. <laughs> I, I tend to attract the people who do unusual things and then like tell me about it, which I, I have great fun with it. Uh, because I would like to do that, but I don't exactly have a mass spectrometer sitting here behind me. Although I probably would if I knew how to use it. So it, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where I, it's just scientific curiosity. But you said something really important there. You said, for me, it works. And at the yeah. end of the day, people are different enough that there are basic principles that work for most people. And if you start out getting most of the basic principles mostly right, okay, great. And then like, add different variables to see what works. And for you, if it worked immediately and dramatically, hey, your body needed it, it's all good. That's right. That's something I talk about in fermented, if I, if I can say, yeah. is that, you know, not even just with fermented food, but eating a paleo diet or eating, uh, you know, people need to eat more vegetables than they want to or whatever, what, whatever the manifestation is for each individual. Don't cling to it just because that's what the rule is or that's what yeah. I'm supposed to do. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, I, I've i seen so many of people who say, well, you know, you're supposed to eat all these whole grains and I've been eating these whole grains and I just feel terrible. And I'm like, well, then <laughs> stop eating them. I mean, that's it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that for me with anything that I put on my body or put in my body. If it feels good, it makes me feel good. I can see a benefit to it. If it improves my life in some way, I'm going to keep doing it. If it doesn't, I'm going to stop. Yeah. And, and cultivating that awareness of whether things are working or not 
is one of the biggest challenges. It certainly was for me and in, in my coaching clients and just people who come to the Bulletproof site. Uh, it's how do I know it's working? And, and the biggest word there is probably trust, right? Like you have to trust, God, I really do feel crappy today, even though I'm supposed to feel good because, you know, I did something that was supposed to work. And, and that goes for you know, Bulletproof supplements. It goes for fermented foods. It might be a different variable. Maybe you stayed up late under bright fluorescent lights and that's why you feel crappy in the morning. And maybe it's what you ate. But yeah. the ability to just ask that question kind of constantly in the background, why? If you get that, I think you can even zoom in and say, you know, maybe hard cider works for me, but fermented grains in the form of beer don't. And you know, right. a lot of paleo people go in that direction. Now, two more kind of big questions. How the heck do you store and travel with fermented foods? Because, I mean, I know people who are saying, well, I have to have uh, kefir every day because I'm healing my gut. And so, you know, they're traveling over international borders and they have like you know, kefir, like hidden storage compartments. Look like, like Smuggling <laughs> their ferments. <laughs> like, how does that work for you? Well, I don't travel with them. I just don't. I mean, it's something where I, I'm not often traveling over international borders, so I've never had to smuggle any kind of... Uh, cultured food over the border. <laughs> uh, I do, but I, I know I just figured uh, if I'm going somewhere, I'll try to get it on the other side. Uh, so that's how I travel internationally with fermented foods. I don't. If I'm, you know, in the car, if I'm taking a road trip somewhere, I bring a cooler. That's all I do. I mean, it's as simple as that for me. Um, you know, I'll bring a six pack of kombucha. I'll bring. Um, little travel jars of stuff that I want. I mean, that's, that's how I do it, but I don't, I typically don't, if I'm flying in the air, I just try to procure my ferments on the other side because I'm not as sensitive as some people that I can get store-bought kombucha and it still works for me. Or I can, you know, show up in a city and show up at a food co-op somewhere and get some local fermented kraut and that works for me. I'm not particular about it. So if you fermented something on top of an active Wi-Fi router, would it change the ferment? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I, Are you doing that? No, in fact, I'm, I'm certain it's bad. Oh, actually, that's not true. I know that when we're using microbial fermentation in industrial manufacturing, like, like we make things like citric acid by using aspergillus that we've genetically modified to make citric acid as it's uh, basically it's protective chemicals. They put it in these giant steel fermentation tanks, and then they anger <laughs> the aspergillus. They shake the tank, they change the heat up and down, and they use EMFs, like Wi-Fi, <laughs> in order to irritate it. And the more irritated it gets, the more citric acid it produces. So you basically dump in bacteria, sugar, and then irritation. <laughs> and that is like one of our foundational industrial uh, biochemical production methods. Yeah. So, the question is, if you make a ferment that's buried the way they would in Korea or in a root cellar where it's you know, sort of at one with the earth, now I'm getting all hippie on you. But there actually is a difference between doing it that way. There's an electrical field that doesn't go into something buried that does go into something that's on top of a transformer. And right. we know from the industrial side of things that changes things. The question is, if you're making, you know, kefir or sauerkraut and you do that, maybe it's going to make more of the good stuff because it was irritated or maybe it'll make more of the bad stuff. I have no idea, but it's an interesting question, and I never hear fermenting people talk it's, about it. No, I don't. I never even considered it. 
hey, maybe this is book two. Let's let's team up and do this. What do you think? It sounds like a plan. In fact, we can probably play something like over Pandora and we'll see if the type of music played over Wi-Fi affects it. I'm, I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> let's get let's get very detailed here. Uh, it's music produce better ferments. Hmm. There are weird environmental variables like that. And we know, at least my book on epigenetics in humans, we know that, that environmental stressors affect our own offspring right. uh, from what happens in the womb, even like the genetic expression. So environmental stressors we know affect some things, including like what comes out of bacteria and fungus. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that question. The, the other question for you is around histamine. Have you looked at the formation of histamine in ferments and how to control that or what it does? No, Dave, you're asking me all these things and it makes me feel like I don't know anything about fermentation. No, you're someone who knows how to make a lot of good tasting ferments and you've seen a big benefit in your health. So I totally value that. Like you've written about it. You spent a lot more time fermenting than I have probably, mostly because I eat it. And I'm like, I just wasted a perfectly good head of cabbage because I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> Um, but I'm still, I'm very curious about it, so I dig around. It turns out that when you ferment anything with protein, and that includes like cruciferous vegetables have protein in them. Sure. The protein tends to go to histamine in any microbiological pathway, whether it's fungal or bacterial. So some foods are very high in histamine, and a lot of people in a modern environment, more, more than most people recognize, have problems with histamine. The number one source of histamine from a fermented food is fish sauce because it's fermented fish, which is mostly protein. And that stuff will right. knock a lot of people out. It's known for causing migraines. And then you go into fermented soy. And fermented soy is also almost as high in these biogenic amines. And th that process of fermentation also can give people hives. I've had so many clients and friends over the years, I have hives, I'm like quit eating soy sauce on your sushi and boom, the hives mm. go away. And it's because it just bumped their histamine up enough. Some hmm. bacteria in the gut degrade histamine, which is great. And like, I want to know how to grow histamine degrading bacteria in my ferments. So then I could just eat lots of those and it would be great. But You've got me stumped here, Dave. I don't know. So I, I'm concerned about the like fermenting things that are higher in protein. And I encourage people who are going to do fermentation to do lower protein things. Yet at the same time, I know I can do two different fermented dairy products without problems, even though non-fermented dairy products other than butter are like seriously kryptonite for me. So I'm, it's a it's an open question for me and I ask everyone I interview about fermentation, like what's up with this histamine thing because it is a major source of kryptonite for a good portion of people, I don't know how many, and I don't know that eating extra histamine is beneficial for anyone versus just allowing your own allergy systems to work. So it's an open question, I don't expect you to know the answer to everything, these are just the top of mind things. Yeah, well, this is certainly something I do need to look into, so yeah. Thanks for opening the door. Oh, you're welcome. If maybe in book two you can uh, you can touch on those things. Now, is your cat named after a certain species of ferment? No, his name's Quincy. <laughs> I was hoping it'd be like mushroom or something because that would just be no. funny. No, I got him long before I started fermenting. So maybe he's named after Jack Klugman. Remember that show, Quincy? Oh, that's right. I do remember yeah. it. Well, okay. You're also a runner. Do fermented yes. foods affect your performance when you run? I, I can't specifically narrow it down and say yes. Here's what I will say. I went from this terrible, unhealthy lifestyle to a clean diet, exercising, which in my clean diet included fermented food. And I, and I was, even though I was running kind of casually before then, I, wouldn't, I don't even put it in the category of exercising because I wasn't that serious about it. Um, 
But since then, I've noticed an increase in my energy. I've noticed an increase in my performance, not just with running. I do CrossFit. I do yoga. Um, you know, I've gotten better at those things, not just out of repetition and practice. It's something that I feel better doing. Um, yeah, I think just the whole gestalt of better lifestyle, of course, has helped my running. But I can't specifically say that ferment, ferment, food, eating food fermentation or doing food fermentation, eating fermented foods is the key mm -hmm. to Boston qualifying. So you don't have like a camelback full of kombucha with some extra magic sauerkraut, something in it? Because that would be no. really cool if you did. It'd be like you know the, the Gatorade of <laughs> fermented Gatorade, nothing like that? All right. <laughs> um, you can ferment coconut water and that's, you know, kind of Gatorade-ish. That's a very hydrating. So you can make coconut water kefir. But I've, ne I've never used it, you know, out there on the course or on the road in my back or anything like that. It, it seems but, like yeah. it may not work because you actually want the carbs that are in it. If you're doing an endurance event, you'd want the sugar rather than whatever the sugar turned into, unless it was amino acids. But it's an interesting idea. I was hoping you'd have a secret fermentation formula that made you extra fast because that would be cool. No, I mean, I am not at all fast. That's one little disappointing thing is that I like to run. I can run long distances. I do it often. I'm going to do it after we're done here, but I'm not fast. Well, as long as you're faster than you were before, you're in, moving in the right direction. That's what it's really about. I'll take that. Every guest who's been on the show, except that one time when I forgot, answers one question. And okay. it's, what are the top three things that you recommend from your life? It doesn't have to be from fermentation or anything else, but just the three most important pieces of wisdom that you've gathered for people who want to perform better or just kick more ass. Top three. Uh, top three is... Um, this is going to be corny, but you have to be true to yourself. That's something that I've learned the hard way. I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 in like a month. So I feel like I, as a middle-aged person or a person on the precipice of middle age, I can say that. Just be unabashedly your own person. That's, that has been the key to my own happiness right there. The second thing is I never lie. I can't, I, I would rather have somebody tell me something horrific than tell me something really great that's untrue. And the same thing with other people. Just be straight with people. Just tell them the truth. Don't lie. Just give them the, the straight up, no BS answer. Deliver the information as plainly as possible. And the third thing is, is don't be afraid to love. I think a lot of people... Um, have an attitude. And I think a lot of people feel they need to put barriers around themselves. And I, that doesn't get you anywhere. Be yourself, be lovable, be willing to love others. How's that? It sounds awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. It has nothing to do with food. Not, none of them do, but it doesn't have to. I mean, I get the coolest answers from people uh, every time I ask the question and it, it's, you know, we're north of 60 interviews over the past couple of years. And with people you know, who've written books and spent a lot of time thinking about you know what works, so I, I always find it educational and and interesting. So I think you might be the first person who said you know always tell the truth. Uh, so that's a that's a cool one. So thank you for sharing. Sure. Would you please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, more about your blog, more about your book? Yeah, I uh, my blog is firstcomeshealth.com, and 
there's information there about my book and about me and what I do. And it's um, second only to, I would say, I, I, I'm, I love Instagram. I'm all over Instagram. So if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram at first, you know, first comes health is my handle there. If you want to get an insight into me and professionally what I'm about, as well as personally what I'm about, yeah, that's a really great way to connect with me. I'm always checking it, you know, during the working hours. So if you want to communicate with me or get in touch with me, that's a good way. I have a Facebook presence. I'm not so hot on Twitter. I mean, I probably ought to be, but to me, it's just one more thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's if anyone needs to get in touch with me, you can through Facebook at First Comes Health, um, Instagram at First Comes Health, my website's First Comes Health. I live in Pittsburgh, so if anyone's in the Berg, I'm, I'm around. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Dave, uh, thanks. Y- you got it. This is the end of our episode. Everyone, you can find a transcript of this episode on bulletproofexec.com, and you'll be able to find links to all the stuff we talked about. Have a great day. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.